Welcome to the Mortgage Vault podcast hosted by Voltage. Voltage is a mortgage automation company that helps mortgage lenders and servicers reduce the time and cost to close and board mortgages. Mortgage Vault podcast is for mortgage industry professionals who want to stay ahead of the curve. Every week you will hear from experts, thought leaders and legends on what's next in the mortgage industry. All of this with just one goal in mind that you stay on top of your game so sit back relax and enjoy this episode of mortgage vault hey everybody it's sanat marketing head at voltage and your host today voltage is a mortgage automation software that helps you produce and service more loans doing less work welcome to mortgage vault podcast A very good morning and welcome to one more episode of the Mortgage Vault podcast. I'm super excited to kickstart today's episode with Jamie Cavanaugh, COO at AmeriFund Home Loans. Now, Jamie has over 20 years of experience in the mortgage industry and has held leadership roles across companies like Bank of America, Countrywide, Prospect Mortgage, etc. She's an industry thought leader and an active advocate of women empowerment in the mortgage profession. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Jamie. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Great. So I would like to start with your early years and how you got started, right? Like you have been in the mortgage industry for over two decades now. So my question is, what motivated you to start your career in the mortgage industry in the very first place? And what kept you going? Absolutely. Well, it's kind of funny. I was raised by a real estate agent, so I don't even know if I had a choice. I was surrounded by real estate my entire childhood. So, you know, literally going to open houses on the weekends with mom, watching some seriously shrewd negotiations as a, as a teenager. Um, my mom had an amazing and very successful real estate career. And so when I was in high school and looking for, you know, something to do to, uh, you know, surprisingly enough to pay for the car insurance and to get the, you know, to get the car and to do all the things you want to do when you're in high school. Mom and dad said, you better earn some money if you want to start driving. So there was a loan officer in the mortgage office that was affiliated with mom's real estate company. And I started to assist him. And I caught that bug that we all catch. I loved the puzzle of the mortgage business. I loved the way that every loan was different. I loved gathering all those documents, figuring out how the application fit together, the right program for the customer. And it's interesting because I cut my teeth on those FHA loans back in the 90s with, you know, eight or 10 different borrowers on the application, challenging credit, you know, the, the things that we don't see as often anymore these days. But it was so rewarding to be able to watch people who had never realized their dream of home ownership finally be able to do that. And so once I started, it was kind of like a no looking back situation. And uh, and here we are in my 24th year in the mortgage wow. industry, still going. Great. So it's actually quite fascinating, you know, how you got started and, and the entire energy with the, which you got started. That's That's really interesting. However, you know, I understand that you have had your fair share of ups and downs in the career, right? And in fact, you know, I love one of your episodes on the Inside Real Estate podcast where you spoke about how you and your partner were leading a thriving mortgage business till 2007 and then the meltdown happened, right? So so can you share a bit about that and how did you recoup your strength and bounce back from that? 
Absolutely. So yeah, I was a very young executive. I mean, I think I was all of 23, 24 years old when I started to rise through the ranks in the industry. And by the time the uh, meltdown hit, I wasn't even 30. And so we had built a, a mortgage company, uh, direct lending in 43 states. Uh, we had a wholesale retail operation. You know, we had uh, almost 20,000 square foot office building upwards of, you know, 100 employees. And what we started to see were, you know, the warehouse lines shrinking, the guidelines changing, things being pulled out from under us literally by the minute. And even though we personally as a company had not necessarily made the decision to do some of those riskier loans that other companies had done, right. by virtue of being in the industry at the time, by virtue of the size of our company, we did fall victim to the crash and the meltdown as so many others did. And so here I was, and here my partner was, you know, fairly young executives with a team of people, many of whom had become like family to us, who had been with us, some of them for eight, nine years, having to say goodbye. That was an unbelievable experience that it, it taught me so much. I would say uh, it was humbling. I would say it caused me to relook at everything, including my leadership, the culture of the company, what I wanted to build as I moved forward in the industry, who I wanted to be, where I wanted to go. So what I did was, I actually took a break. I took a break from executive leadership. I afforded myself that opportunity. And then Countrywide called and said, look, the foreclosure side of the business is obviously booming because the front side of the business isn't so much. We need a leader to come over and take on a pretty massive portfolio of foreclosed homes. Um, and we want you to be that person. And so I did that. And then they, they shortly became Bank of America. And I did that for a couple of years. And it was the, the polar opposite side of the industry, right? So I had gone from the happy side. Everybody's buying a home. Everybody's refinancing into lower rates. It's wonderful to... We're foreclosing on people's homes. People are having to leave their homes. It was definitely a different thing. But through that experience, I brought a lot of the people who had helped me grow Mortgage Corp of America with me over to Bank of America, gave them leadership opportunities there, was able to sort of keep my core team around me, and also knew how to build the right people to handle that foreclosure portfolio because I knew to look outside of people with post-closing experience and actually look for people who had underwriting experience and different experience from the front side of the business because those people had a specific skill set that the folks at Bank of America in that division didn't know to look for. And so it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, did that for a little bit, moved on to prospect mortgage and started to run government insuring, post-closing, got the auditing and all of that stuff under the way. And then in 2014, my partner, Brad, we had stayed friends and stayed in touch all, all of that time, said, I think maybe it's time, you know, to do mm. something again. And when we did it, we, we said it needs to look a lot different than it looked before. We never want to be as big as we were. We want our culture to be of utmost importance. We want to, we want to do it right. We want to do it differently. Work-life balance, um, empowering everyone, all of that stuff. Mm. And I'll say this about Brad. Never in all of the decades that we've worked together on and off has my gender ever been a factor. And I know we're going to talk more about that shortly, right. which I'm very excited to do. But I will tell you that who you work with matters. And I have always been championed 
as a professional, even as a 23-year-old female executive and now a almost 43-year-old female executive, always have been championed and always empowered and never has that been an issue here. And I think that that is what has really allowed me to continue to thrive and evolve and kind of make it through all of the ups and the downs and, and still find my place here in this business. Right. Actually, very interestingly, uh, you know, I kind of picked up one thing that the meltdown kind of reshaped how you looked at leadership. So my following question on this would be, you know, based on your experience that you have been in the industry for like the past 20 years. So based on that collective experience, what do you think constitutes an effective leadership and, and how do you think leadership styles impact organizational culture? Well, I'll start with the last part of that question, because mm-hmm. I think leadership styles shape organizational culture. I think that when you look at statistics on attrition rates at companies, when you look at the reason why employees leave, it is almost never overcompensation. It is almost always about the culture. And more specifically, it is about how those individual employees feel. Do they feel valued? Do they feel challenged? Do they feel that they are seen? And so I think as leaders, the very first thing we need to do to be effective is we need to lead by example. If we're out there preaching certain values and certain things, we need to live those things. We need to do those things. Certainly we're not perfect. Certainly we're all human, but to the best of our ability, we need to live out our virtues and our values. And then I think, I think secondly, we need to listen. We need to pay attention to the people who are on our team with us. I was uh, on a coaching call yesterday with another group chatting, and uh, I was discussing the fact that we have a policy here where every six months we do a check-in with each employee, whether it's myself or one of the leaders that supports me, to, to find out what's going on, how they are, and what their goals are. So every person that walks in this door, when they come on board, we ask them, not just, we don't just talk about what we expect from them, but what do they expect from us? What are they looking to accomplish personally and professionally in, let's say, a year and five years? That gives us a roadmap of what they're looking for, and it makes them understand that they are more than a commodity to us. They are seen. They are important. And Things change over the years as employees. You know, what a person might be looking for today might be very different from their goals in a year. And so as leaders, I think it is so important that we understand the value of each person that is on our team and make them feel seen and valued. Uh, And if we do those things, then the culture really kind of takes care of itself. And you'd be surprised how the teamwork and the cohesiveness of everyone sort of falls into place. Right, right, absolutely. Because even the past interviews with with other leaders, uh, you know, one thing did come out that having a culture which is nurturing and which is empowering towards its employees goes on becoming a big differentiator, right, when it comes to talent retention and driving high performance. Now I'd like to turn your attention towards the current market conditions, right? Obviously, the past year has been great in terms of great refi volumes, but Right now, with the rising interest rates, the shortage of housing supply, so in your opinion, what options are there for lenders to navigate through such choppy waters in order to avoid, say, margin compression? Margin compression is a real thing. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have the opportunity to chat with uh, many lender executives on a regular basis, and I know that, that this is something they, they all struggle with. 
the really the there's not a magic uh, solution here, but the practical solution really is you have got to stay in tune with your operational overhead because it's really the only constant. It's the only thing that you have any real control over as it pertains to the market fluctuations and the things that are going on around us. So when it comes to looking at your operational overhead, there are many ways that you can lean yourself out. Uh, the first one is keeping your cost per loan down. And when we look at cost per loan, that extends for lenders on beyond just the origination process of a loan, but also into servicing. And a lot of companies do that by taking a look at their third-party vendor contracts at a time like this and renegotiating those, finding uh, less expensive solutions for things. They look at outsourcing certain areas of the loan process if they can. But my favorite thing, and the thing that I believe is the most sustainable change that a company can make is automation. Mm-hmm. Automation is huge. You can implement uh, artificial intelligence into so many parts of the loan process today that can supplement those things that humans do in a very complementary and very effective way. And when you do that, not only are you solving a short-term problem and you're hedging against the margin compression, but you're also creating a long-term solution for your company that can continue to evolve as the market evolves, as guidelines change, as things in our industry change. And so I would say those are the things, the over, you know, watching your overhead is a huge thing, but those are the ways in which you can do that effectively. Right. So like you spoke about automation, right? Of course, millennials are emerging as a dominant market segment in, in the current times. And they have an expectation of a you know faster, cheaper, better lending experience. So from your understanding, what are some of the areas in the lending process where you feel automation can, you know, help bridge that expectation gap? Absolutely. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, Most of the people coming into the age where they're starting to look at buying homes and getting loans and things like that, they've grown up with automation. They absolutely expect it. It's native to them. It's how they live. They shop for just about everything using an app, using um, a smart device of some sort. So mortgages are the one area in which, for the most part, many people still want to talk to a human being. And I think that there's a little bit of synergy that can create it, be created between technology and people. Because I think that to, also to a certain degree, um, when you have a loan that's a little bit more complex, you have a scenario that's not quite cookie cutter, that you're going to need a person who's well-versed at navigating through that with your customer. But I think that automation can help. So where we start is with the point of sale. And most loan officers and lending companies that I know have already implemented one of many excellent solutions for point of sale. And point of sale, for those that may not know, is basically the loan application and the supporting documents from a client. We are in a world today where there really isn't a need for a customer to ever walk in a door and hand you tax returns, hand you bank statements, because we have technology built by so many different vendors out there that allows them to go in, complete an intuitive loan application with a Q&A process, and then upload a specific list of documents through a secure server, and then let the lending institution quickly review that and come back with the feedback as to what the best options are and so forth. Second piece of the puzzle is the shopping piece. So obviously, we know there are a multitude of online lenders out there who are um, offering loan quotes at the, you know, the touch of a button. How do you compete with that? How do you offer something similar when you're either a small or mid-sized company or in cases where you're dealing with a customer who maybe doesn't have that cookie cutter scenario? Well, 
you get some tools. There are some amazing loan comparison and quoting tools that offer things like debt consolidation comparisons, rent versus own comparisons, things that give our consumers a true financial breakdown of what they're looking at and what their options are. And that's what today's consumer really wants to see. They want the bottom line. They don't want to have an hour-long in-person meeting they don't want to have a 45 minute phone call. They want the bottom line. They want it tangible. They want it electronic. They want to see it. And there are a lot of tools out there that can help accomplish that throughout different parts of the process. Right. Definitely those kind of tools make a lot of sense for the consumer facing interactions. But but what's your perspective on the back office operations? Do you, do you see that maybe automation can drive operation efficiency on the back office uh, front? hundred percent. I mean, there are already things that are being done. So for example, the underwriting process is already very much automated between, you know, systems like um, Loan Product Advisor with Freddie Mac and uh, Desktop Underwriter with Fannie Mae. That does a lot of the analysis and initially spits out a very concise decision. And then for the most part, lenders have a human being giving the, the double check. That in and of itself, if you look over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, has drastically changed the landscape of the way that we look at underwriting and credit decisions on loans. Um, it used to be only human being that would sit and pour over a you know, three-inch thick loan file and make a, a manual decision, and that, that's no longer the case anymore. Conversely, when we look at preparation of closing and final closing documents, that also used to be a process where there was you know, nothing but data entry, and today that process is almost completely automated with almost no, and in some lender cases, absolutely no human interaction, because right. once that information pulls from what's already been input into the system, it spits out an accurate set of final closing documents. And then lastly, I would say that uh, we are hopefully moving in a direction over the course of time where we can do electronic signings and notarization. Now in California, where I'm located, that hasn't happened yet, but there are some states in the U.S. that have already adopted that, and it's making the process much more efficient. So I do think that back office operations are already moving in that direction, have made quite a bit of progress, and I would anticipate that there will be a day where there is almost complete automation of that. Right, because definitely we are seeing a lot more adoption of, of such, uh, you know, tech stack uh, in the lending process. So we've talked about market conditions, we have talked to your, you know, about automation, but there's one point that I really would want your you know, view on, right? And in recent times, there's a lot more conversation around gender equity in the mortgage profession. Now, as an industry leader yourself, how do you think organizations can improve the representation of women in leadership roles? Well, I'm really, really thrilled to see even in the past 12 to 24 months, uh, what I believe to be a huge shift in the overall culture of this industry, which for so long has been uh, heavily male dominated. And as a female executive, I can tell you that despite my fortune in working with someone who has always championed me, even at a young age, without any reference or consideration uh, to my gender, that that wasn't the case in the boardrooms I sat in many, many times over the course of my, my life and my career, and that I had to learn to find my voice and in fact insist upon having one. And I know that there are many people in my industry who I'm fortunate to be friends with who've had a very similar path. I don't think that women coming into the business today, fortunately, will have to have that same experience. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. But there's a long way to go. And I think that it starts 
from the top. It starts with what we talk about culture. The culture of a company has to be one that sees the value of an individual irrespective of anything else, irrespective of their gender identification, irrespective of their age, irrespective of anything other than the knowledge, the skills, and what they bring to the table. And the moment that we expect and insist Mm -hmm. upon that equality, that is when things will continue to change and finally reach a level where everyone has an equal voice. And I do think we're moving in that direction. Right. Any particular initiatives or drives that are particularly close to your heart that you are a co-part of? Yes. I am a very proud member of the Women's Mortgage Network, which is run by the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, also known as AIM. I absolutely love the group. It was uh, started right before the pandemic. We had a very few members. We had our first meeting in March of 2020. We had set a goal at that time to hit a thousand members by March of 2021. Uh, We are well well over uh, 2,200 members now in that time. And that particular group is really there to support any woman at any level in our industry. We lift each other up with absolutely no ask in return other than if you need support, if you want support, or if you want to support someone else, do it. The other thing I'm a part of is I am a part of AIM's mentor program. And I happen to be paired with a female mortgage broker who is a new broker owner in the industry. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to have one-on-one sessions with her to help her uh, give her tools and tips on how to build her business and hopefully um, avoid some of the pitfalls I had to learn the hard way. And so I'm really proud of AIM for being a leader in not only uh, giving grant programs for individuals who are starting out in the business, particularly those in uh, groups that would be considered minorities, uh, but also the mentor program that pairs specific individuals with experience with those that may have less experience. I also love being a part of Women with Vision, which is part of the 2020 Vision for Success coaching group with Christine Beckwith. I love that group and everything they do to empower women. So there, these are some of the things that are very, very close to my heart that I enjoy giving my time and traveling to some of their events um, and being a part of. Great. It's actually very heartening to see, you know, senior leaders like you take that interest and time and energy towards the cause of women empowerment in the mortgage industry because I feel that this is a need of the hour. We need, I would say, much better representation of what we have today of, of women in leadership roles. So I think hats off. Thank you. We have to stay involved. We are the ones that are going to pave the way. Mm-hmm. And, and when I'm done, in however many years that is, if I ever retire, which I don't think I ever will, but if I do, there have to, we have to pave the way and create the leaders of tomorrow. And those people then have to pave the way for the next generation. It's so important that we continue to give back because we can't let this die with us. We have to continue this movement to empower women, to empower every gender, ethnicity, age. And, and I want to do my part here as much as I can to continue to move that forward. Great. So nice to hear, you know, such empathetic views. So, so as we head towards the end of this conversation, right, the few questions that I'd like to get your views on. So in the context of what we just discussed, uh, you know, uh, pertaining to the market conditions and how you see the markets evolve over the course of next one year, what are some of the key focus areas for you this year to ensure healthy growth in loan volumes? Well, what we're doing here is really, I, I kind of started this, um, 
last year, because I you know, obviously when you've been around the block a bit in this industry, we know that it is cyclical. We know that all things go up and they go down and, and things change. So the proactive approach has always been for me, start diversifying now, which was last year. So the diversification for me began with um, expanding into multiple states again, which you know our previous company had already done, but but this company had not. So we've, we've begun and, and have uh, started that process. Obviously focusing on purchase business, you know, we were getting in front of our real estate agents and partners back when the refis were still booming because nobody else was. And I was encouraging my colleagues in the industry to do the same thing because now everybody's in their face and we always were and we didn't forget them and they know that. The other thing would be never stopping the prospecting even when business is booming. We get uh, we get a little spoiled when we have a lot of business and we, we kind of think that we don't have to keep calling our database and, and working on building new business. We don't have to keep planting those seeds, but we do. We right. do because what comes up must go down and vice versa. And so if you're still planting seeds all along the way, guess what? You're always going to be bearing fruit. The business is always going to be going. And this is why I preach consistency all the time. And so we've continued to do those things. And I've seen a lot of my colleagues also do that. And that is why, you know, businesses are still sustainable during, uh, even now when I was reading an article saying that, you know, mortgage applications are down 50%, which by the way is expected. Any of us who have been here are not shocked by this nor concerned. If we've been doing the business building activities that we knew we should be doing proactively up to this point. So um, it's really about the consistency and about doing all the things that we've known we should be doing, but not keeping our, not taking our eyes off the ball, if you will, during those busier times. Right. So staying consistent and yet chasing the business goals actively. Yep. Great. So now with the mortgage industry getting increasingly competitive, right? What advice do you have for young mortgage professionals who are just getting started and want to kind of, you know, grow in their careers? First things first, the most basic thing I tell every single person who starts in this industry is that every person you encounter should know what you do for a living. Your sphere of influence is the most powerful thing you can have. Get yourself some sort of client relationship management system and start right away with automation. Why? Because your database is incredibly powerful. The database we have is massively large and has surprisingly through all of the changes and the different corporations that my partner and I have had, that database we started with is still here and it's still the thing that sustains us. And so I would say to them, get your customers and your circle of influence into something immediately and start getting in front of them. The second thing I would say is find a community of like-minded professionals, whether that is a local networking group, whether that is a chamber of commerce, whether that is even a social media group. Like there are many, many lending groups on Facebook who are phenomenally supportive and have a ton of people from all levels of expertise who are willing to help. Find your tribe, your community, your support system, because you would be surprised at how much information and knowledge you can gain and how many people will tell you a lot of great tips to help you be successful early on. And then I would say, get yourself a great group of lending options and leverage your account executives and salespeople at those lending institutions to help you gain the knowledge that you need on a day-to-day basis to help your consumers. And if you do those things, then the rest of it kind of takes care of itself as you experience different loan scenarios and different customers, you'll begin to build your knowledge over time. Unfortunately, knowledge is one of those things you can't just snap your fingers and have. But if you do the rest of the things that we know work, everything else will begin to fall into place. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for all your insights, Jamie. And really, it was amazing talking to you, especially, you know, making time on a Friday morning to talk to me first thing. I think that's awesome. 
so so yeah i had a lovely uh, you know time talking to you having conversation with you and i hope you enjoyed it too i had a wonderful time this is really fun and i so appreciate the invitation and uh, being a part of this hope you have a fantastic weekend and uh, would love to come back and visit again soon with you great amazing and i'll look forward to that so on that note i would have to call it a wrap until next time so stay happy stay healthy and stay tuned <laughs>